In his scholarly work, Mark D. Futato engages with the creation narrative of Genesis, particularly Genesis 2, 5, to offer a fresh theological perspective that diverges from traditional chronological interpretations. He builds upon the foundational studies of Meredith G. Klein, who in 1958 posited that the creation account in Genesis operated under ordinary providence, meaning that natural processes were in place as God created the world. This interpretation suggests that the sequence of events described in Genesis 1, such as the creation of light preceding the sun and stars, should not be understood as a literal temporal order but rather as a thematic arrangement. Futato delves into the specific mention of rain in Genesis 2, 5, questioning its role in the narrative. He argues against the idea that rain was absent until the time of Noah, instead emphasizing that rain was a part of God's creation from the beginning. Through a close examination of the text's logic, structure and semantics, he concludes that the structure of Genesis 2, 5, 7 is key to understanding the entire section of Genesis 2, 4, 25 as a topical, not chronological account. This topical arrangement extends to the first chapters of Genesis, suggesting that the entire creation narrative is organized thematically. Futato's analysis leads to the conclusion that Genesis 1, 2 serves a polemical function, specifically as a refutation of Canaanite Baalism. In Canaanite religion, Baal was seen as the deity controlling rain and fertility. By accentuating that it rained during creation, the Genesis narrative affirms the sovereignty of the Lord God over these elements, directly challenging Baal's supposed authority. Futato's interpretation presents Genesis as a theological statement that uses a topical framework to affirm God's ultimate power over creation and the gods of neighboring faiths. Also, Futato's interpretation of Genesis 2, 5, 7 offers a comprehensive analysis that integrates geographical, literary, and theological contexts to resolve long-standing puzzles in the text. He contends that the passage presents a twofold problem, the absence of both wild vegetation and cultivated grains. A twofold reason for this problem, no rain and no man to till the ground, and a twofold solution provided by God, sending rain and creating man. Futato asserts the importance of understanding the specific types of plants mentioned in the text. He clarifies that Sia Hasade refers to wild vegetation that grows after the rainy season, while Seseb Hasade denotes cultivated grains. This distinction is crucial as it aligns with the climatic conditions of the ancient Near East, where the onset of rains transforms the arid landscape into a verdant one and softens the soil for cultivation. The passage's geographical context is rooted in the Syro-Palestinian Levant, as indicated by the direction in the east in Genesis 2, 8, suggesting that the narrative is being told from the perspective of someone in the west, likely Canaan. This perspective is significant because it reflects the rain-dependent agriculture familiar to the original audience of the text. Moreover, Futato addresses methodological concerns, such as the order of interpreting Genesis 1 and 2, debating that the interpretation should do justice to both texts and that later material can illuminate earlier passages. He cites the example of the water purification ritual in Numbers 19, where the full meaning of the ritual is only clear after reading the entire passage. In Genesis 2, 5b, the text articulates the reason for the lack of vegetation. No rain had fallen, and there was no man to work the land. This explanation sets up an expectation for a solution to both issues. Futato highlights that most interpretations fail to provide a coherent solution for the lack of rain, which is where his analysis diverges. He disputes that the word ed in Genesis 2, 6, often translated as stream, should instead be understood as rain cloud, based on its use in Job 36, 27, and the climatic context of the Levant, where rain is essential for both wild and cultivated vegetation. 
This interpretation is supported by ancient Targums, which translate ed as cloud. Futato suggests that the imperfect form of the verb to come up in Genesis 2. 6 indicates the inceptive action of God beginning to create rain clouds, which aligns with the logic of the passage. If rain clouds had existed before, the problem of no rain would not make sense. Thus, the text presents a coherent narrative. God addresses the lack of wild vegetation by sending rain and resolves the absence of cultivated grains by creating man to cultivate the land. In sum, Futato's analysis of Genesis 2, 5, 7 presents a logical and coherent interpretation that integrates the immediate and broader literary contexts, the geographical setting of the ancient Near East and the theological context of Canaanite religion. By doing so, he provides clarity to a text that has puzzled commentators for centuries, offering a solution that respects the integrity of the biblical narrative and its original cultural and climatic backdrop. Furthermore, Futato's interpretation of Genesis 2, 4, 25 challenges the traditional chronological reading of the text, arguing for a thematic rather than sequential understanding. He notes that while the Hebrew narrative often progresses through war relative verbs indicating chronological succession, this passage includes non-sequential elements, particularly in verses 10, 14, which describe the river flowing out of Eden. This suggests that the author's intent was not to present events in a strict temporal order. Futato identifies a discrepancy between the creation order in Genesis 1 and the account in Genesis 2, especially regarding the formation of animals and man. To reconcile this, he points to the Hebrew narrative technique of synoptic slash resumption expansion, where a story is summarized and then retold with additional details. This technique is evident in Genesis 2. The initial verses set the scene, and the following verses expand upon it, detailing the garden and the man's role within it. The passage focuses on two main themes, the lack of vegetation and the absence of a cultivator. The narrative resolves these issues by depicting God as planting a garden and creating man to care for it. The detailed expansion that follows describes the lush vegetation of the garden, indicating its suitability for human habitation and the man's connection to it. Futato suggests that the use of the war relative form in Genesis 2.19, which describes God forming animals and bringing them to Adam, is not meant to indicate a chronological sequence, but rather to create dramatic tension and maintain the story's anthropocentric focus. The narrative culminates with the creation of a suitable partner for Adam, resolving the dramatic tension and completing the thematic exploration of the relationship between God, humanity, and the garden. This reading presents Genesis 2, 4, 25 not as a chronological account of creation, but as a thematic exploration of God's provision for human needs through the creation of a life-sustaining environment. In addition, Futato interprets Genesis 1, 1, 2, 3 as a literary composition that frames the creation narrative with deliberate structural and thematic parallels, rather than a strict chronological sequence. He identifies an inclusio, a literary bracketing, with the phrase the heavens and the earth at the beginning and end of the account, which signals the reader to view the enclosed material as a cohesive unit. Futato contends that Genesis 1, 2 sets the stage for creation by presenting two problems, the earth's lack of productivity and its uninhabited state, alongside the darkness over the deep. The six days of creation address these issues in a patterned structure of creative acts. One act on days one and two, two acts on day three, followed by a parallel set on days four to six. This pattern, one plus one plus two, is not just numerical, but also thematic, with day one's light paralleling day four's luminaries, day two's sky and waters paralleling day five's birds and fish, and day three's land and vegetation paralleling day six's land animals and humanity. The creation of light and the establishment of day and night on day one are mirrored on day four with the creation of celestial bodies, 
suggesting these are not sequential, but rather different perspectives on the same event. This challenges a linear reading and suggests a topical arrangement, pointing out the relationship between humanity and vegetation, which is central to the narrative's focus. In essence, Futato's analysis suggests that Genesis 1, 1, 2, 3 should be read as a unified account that uses repetition and parallelism to reiterate the creation of vegetation and humanity. This thematic focus anticipates the narrative of Genesis 2, 4, 25, which resumes and expands upon these themes particularly in the context of human sustenance and the role of rain in the production of vegetation. Last but not least, Futato's interpretation of Genesis 1, 2 delves into the theological significance of its structure, repeating the sabbatical theology inherent in the text. He draws upon Meredith G. Klein's exposition of the sabbatical principles in the creation narrative, which aligns the creation days with a theological message rather than a chronological account. The emphasis is on the Sabbath, with the creation week culminating in rest, reflecting God's sovereignty and the pattern for human life. Futato then addresses the original audience of Genesis, proposing that the narrative was directed at pre-exilic Israelites, countering Canaanite religious beliefs, particularly the worship of Baal, the storm god associated with rain and fertility. This context is crucial, as the Israelites, transitioning from Egypt's irrigation-based agriculture to Canaan's rain-dependent farming, were confronted with the temptation to attribute the provision of rain and fertility to Baal. The narrative of Genesis is thus seen as a polemic against Baalism, affirming Yahweh as the true provider. This theological conflict is echoed throughout the Old Testament, notably in the dramatic showdown on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, which was fundamentally about the deity who controls the rain. The outcome demonstrated Yahweh's supremacy, reinforcing the covenantal promise that faithfulness to Yahweh ensures rain and life, while idolatry leads to drought and desolation. In short, Genesis 1, 2 is framed as a proclamation of Yahweh's lordship over all creation, directly challenging the Canaanite deification of natural processes. It establishes the foundational belief for Israel that Yahweh, not Baal, is the sustainer of life, the provider of rain, and the one deserving of exclusive worship. This theological stance is not merely doctrinal, but is presented as a historical reality, with Yahweh's provision and sustenance of life beginning with creation itself. In conclusion, Futato re-examines the creation story in Genesis, particularly focusing on Genesis 2, 5, to propose a non-linear interpretation that diverges from the traditional chronological approach. He builds on Meredith G. Klein's concept that the narrative is thematic, suggesting the order of events in Genesis 1, like light before the sun, is not temporal but thematic. Futato scrutinizes the role of rain in Genesis 2, 5, challenging the belief that rain started only with Noah. He debates that rain was part of the creation from the outset, which aligns with the ancient Near East's climate, where rain transforms landscapes and enables agriculture. He suggests a retranslation of Ed in Genesis 2, 6 as rain cloud, indicating the beginning of rain crucial for vegetation. Further, he questions the sequential reading of Genesis 2, 4, 25, advocating for a thematic interpretation. The text employs a Hebrew narrative technique where a story is first summarized, then expanded with details. This technique is used to underline the themes of vegetation and cultivation, with God creating a garden and man to tend it, focusing on human centrality in the narrative. In Genesis 1, 1, 2, 3, Futato identifies a patterned structure and thematic parallels, such as the inclusio of the heavens and the earth, which suggests a thematic rather than chronological progression. This pattern anticipates the narrative of Genesis 2, which further explores the themes of human sustenance and the role of rain in vegetation growth. Lastly, Futato discusses the theological implications of Genesis 1, 
2, underscoring the sabbatical theology and the narrative's polemic against Canaanite Baal worship. By affirming Yahweh as the sovereign provider, the text challenges the Canaanite deity Baal's association with rain and fertility, reinforcing Yahweh's covenantal promise of provision for those faithful to him. In summary, Futato presents Genesis as a theological declaration, thematically structured to affirm God's supremacy over creation, challenging the religious narratives of neighboring cultures.